Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. We spend so much of our time at work or working whether it's from home or the office. If the team environment makes you tired and stressed, then the culture probably needs to change. Tanya Heaney Voot has had a long-held passion for creating safe and fun workplaces for around 20 years. She's an expert in mentally healthy workplaces and she's the author of Transforming Norm, Leading the Change in a Mentally Healthy Workplace. You'll hear from Tanya how a better workplace not only makes everyone happier, but increases the bottom line. And who wouldn't want all that? Tanya Heaney Voot, welcome to Tea with the Queen. Thank you, Emma. I'm delighted to be here finally. I know, it's taken a while, but we're there now. I'm going to jump straight in and ask you some questions. We never heard much about mental health issues at work until pretty recently. Why is that, do you think? Hmm. Well, uh, the pandemic has done all sorts of horrible things for us, but it actually has done one decent thing, and that is to create conversations, really, in the workplace about mental wellbeing, I suppose, and, and how people are travelling. So whilst these issues of workplace psychological stress has always been there. We're just talking about it now. People are identifying more with what it feels like, what it looks like. Um, we've normalised it, I suppose. I hate the normalised word, but we've normalised it a little bit more. And as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, it's about time, really. Oh, it's way overdue, way overdue. I think we're also seeing uh, a lot more evidence-based data, research and evidence coming out that's showing that some of the ways we've been doing things in the workplace, some of our our norms aren't really working out so well for us. And again, you know, this is all pre-COVID. There can be a bit of a, a tendency at the moment for people to put all of the workplace woes down to COVID, but these things have been there way before. Yes. Uh, so I think there's, there's a few reasons we're starting to talk a bit more about it. How did you get into being an expert in the mentally <laughs> healthy workplace? Yeah, so my background is really, well, my background's in health, but I'm, I'm not clinical. So my background's always been in people, project and change management, essentially. So always had a passion for people and culture. Also, I'm very focused on outcomes and productivity. And so I spent a lot of my career feeling like there wasn't really a place for me because I was quite balanced in my, my productivity and my um you know, really focus on outcomes, but also the people. And often organisations are focused on one or the other. And so I never really felt there was a space for me. So I always to say I have a head for business and a heart for people or a heart for charity. 
And about six, seven years ago, this pack come across my desk. I was in a corporate role, senior manager, heading up people and culture amongst 10 other divisions. And this pack come across my desk from Beyond Blue called Creating a Mentally Healthy Workplace. And I found my zone. I just found my thing. I think I found where I always needed to belong, I think. And, uh, yeah, I've just been focusing on that ever since. That's really amazing. It's amazing that, like, just this pack comes across your desk and you're like, yep, that's me. I'm there. I'm in flow. Yeah. And, look, drawing on our our experiences, I mean, everyone's got a story to tell about something that's occurred in the workplace that's impacted on them in, you know, a less than positive way. And I'd certainly, like everybody, had... uh, had some of those experiences that had left some pretty deep wounds and I think it all just connected and uh, and drove me to step off the ledge and, and start my practice and get out and want to change, you know, change the world, I suppose. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm trying to change the world, Em. <laughs> Let's be honest. I love that. At least you're claiming it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what are the underlying factors to a mentally unhealthy workplace? The things we see mostly are really that fear-based leadership. So, you know, we talk about command control leadership a lot. There's that, yes, but this fear-based leadership which leads to quite toxic cultures and, you know, where people uh, are unable or it's unsafe to speak up or to challenge the status quo, those sort of things. Workplace culture is a big one. The unhelpful and unhealthy norms that are rife at the moment, as you know, I'm in the middle of a, a three-week summit talking about workload management and work overload in the workplace the cult of busyness that we're sort of getting into. So we've been exploring that as well. But so leadership is a big one. So safe and effective leadership, bullying, incivility, all of those things that we know we've always been there. We're pretty across that issue of bullying. I think there's a lot of other things that are coming up though. So things we talk about such as psychosocial hazards, which is where it starts to get all very confusing, the lingo and people tend to tune out and go and dream about a holiday. (laughs) So, you know, the psychosocial hazards, it's, yeah, lots of language, but they're the things really and the way we manage or apply work and we design work that um, contribute to work-related stress and what we focus on are those that have got unhealthy levels of stress because actually stress in itself is not the problem, right? Some of us, and I'm going to put my hand up here, it's a podcast, people won't see me, but some of us thrive under a little bit of pressure and that's okay, but we've just got to watch that stress um thermometer a little bit make sure it's not severe or prolonged because that's when we have uh, diabolical consequences at work yeah fair enough that makes sense to me look i see these ads on tv about treating frontline staff with respect Uh, we've seen them all through the pandemic and also signs at medical clinics not to abuse staff i mean it really hurts me because what does that say about society (laughs) <laughs> yes, it says uh, it says that society is complex and concerning, and unfortunately, or fortunately, our workforce is made up of members of society, and the majority of workplaces also serve society in their role. So, absolutely, health, occupational violence, and aggression is a major work-related stress risk. But we've seen that over the last couple of years flow out, like every one of our. Emergency services are dealing with that, our AMBOs, our police. Uh, We see this now in transport. We see it in retail. We saw it a lot in retail, Uh, retail staff, hospitality staff being abused um, over the last couple of years. So mm, we don't have enough time in this podcast to unpack (laughs) the social complexities (laughs) that are contributing to that issue. But it is absolutely a major concern, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess the thing for me is 
there's a need for ads on television, like someone's Yeah, gone. that's right. We need to put an ad on television. For the this. fact we have to do it. Mm. Yeah, the fact we have to do it. Yeah, don't what? hit people who are trying to help you. You sort of think, what? Why would I you? Know, <laughs> I know, I know. Why don't enough businesses focus on the mental health of their team? Do they think it takes resources away from running the business and therefore it's a cost to business? What's your theory on it? There's a few reasons. Well, one is it's a lack of understanding. So what I talk about is mentally healthy workplaces. Uh, so it's, you know, where we're building this positive construct, we're, we're fostering psychological safety and we're trying to mitigate the psychosocial hazards that we know contribute to harm and we're building safe and effective leaders. So when I'm talking about that, uh, we're really looking at some of the systemic and cultural factors that have created these patterns in the workplace that we know impact people negatively. I'm not talking about leaders being responsible for building positive mental well-being in each of their individuals. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm, I come at this from a workplace perspective rather than that individual perspective. One of the barriers to answer your question is that I think a lot of people in the workplace feel that that's what we're asking them to do. When we're talking about creating a mentally healthy workplace, are we asking them to get involved in that individual's personal life, unpack all of those individual factors that we know contribute to good or poor or, or great mental well-being? And so there's still a lot of misunderstanding. Where in fact, we're just trying to look at those things in, in work, the management, the design of work, the behaviours at work that have a, a significant negative impact. Yeah, so so stigma is a big one. Um, the other thing, and I often talk about these myths when I'm doing my workshop and working with clients, is there is a worry that leaders need to be counsellors or need to understand mental health to actually just to monitor the well-being of people. And I my response to that is, do you actually need to be a medical doctor to monitor the physical well-being of your people? I mean, if somebody's walking across the office or the field or or the workshop and they're carrying their arm, what is your first response? Normally care, you would think. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Can I help you? Do you need, can I help you access help? And, and so this is exactly the same thing. So no more do we need to be counsellors than we need to be medical doctors to look after or monitor the, the psychological well-being of our people, just like we do the mental well-being which is actually a regulatory requirement, which leads me to the third thing, the third biggest barrier. It's a big topic and it encompasses a number of different pillars and that in itself is a big barrier. We quite often will have workplaces say, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to start, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so it's just the clarity, like tell me what to do and I'll do it because it's such a big space. So there's three, three real barriers. So let's summarise those three barriers. Stigma, number one, stigma and misunderstanding about what creating a mentally healthy workplace is actually about. Number two, a leader's fear or concern that they need to be a psychologist or a counsellor to monitor and preserve the well-being, psychological well-being of, of their team members. And number three, really demystifying and unpacking what does it mean, what is uh, psychological well-being in the workplace. So if that's the case, how do you create a mentally healthy workplace? I'm assuming it's not yoga classes and Zen music, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we've certainly seen a lot of that over the last few years. And so very, very well-meaning organisations, again, who are just in this overwhelmed space and don't know where to start but want to do something. They're well-intentioned. They know their workforce is struggling. They know there's high levels of stress, burnout, fatigue. 
what we've seen is a lot of trivial activities. So I have a maturity model and, and it's quite a common scenario. We'll see these trivial activities. So they're, they're almost like a Band-Aid. You know, we'll put a fruit bowl in the office or we'll have a staff lunch and we'll put, you know, pulled pork and colza in a roll and everybody will come together and we'll all feel good and that will just eradicate all of the stress that we've been feeling and everything's going to be great. Um, we might put a mindfulness class on. All of those activities are fabulous, but not if that's all you do. So they need to be part of a transformational program. So this work, it's not in this trivial or transactional space. And transactional is when I talk about mandatory training programs and people think, well, I've done, I've done all I could do around psychological health and safety because I've got my mandatory training program around bullying. Right. But in itself, it's meaningless. It needs to be part of a bigger program. I mean, it's not meaningless, I'll correct myself. It's a requirement for organisations to meet basic compliance under OHS legislation. It will not affect behaviour change, however. Right. Is And is that what we're aiming for when we're talking about mentally safe, yeah. mentally healthy workplaces? That's what we're looking for. We're looking at systemic and behavioural change. And so the, the behavioural change is the attitudes and mindsets about new ways of work. We can't keep working, doing work and being at work in the same way as we have for the last 50, 60 years. So the mindset is about, okay, the way we've always done things is no longer serving us. It's time to transform the norm. <laughs> it's the topic of my book. So we have to look. <laughs> Hence the topic of your book. It's a very good book too. Get yourself a copy, people, if you're listening. Thanks, Sam. So, yes. So the biggest thing is we need to focus on things that are going to be transformational as well as your trivial and transactional. And the problem we've got is that our world and all of us as individuals are very focused on instant gratification. And so we're looking for quick wins. Anything that we feel it's going to take a long time, we shy away from. Because also we've got the problem today. Our workforce is telling us they're disengaged, they're tired, so I need to fix it today. Nothing you do is going to fix it today. It hasn't happened overnight. It's not going to be fixed overnight or with one activity. Yeah. And so the long run focus is where people just need to be just, just accepting it's a long run game. Yeah. Yeah. What about individual resilience? Does that come into it? Because resilience has been bandied around, hasn't it? It's almost like the next buzzword. It's like almost I read somewhere the other day that someone said resilience is basically covert for just suck it up. <laughs> Just, it it and, is. Oh, my goodness. It sucks. I'm so triggered by the R word and uh, every workshop and every consultation I have with my clients, they know this. They all know me very well now. Don't mention the R word around, Tanya. I think resilience and sending your staff to resilience training to help them cope with a toxic workplace, you know, it isn't going to cut it. You can take the most resilient person in the universe and you can pop them into a toxic environment or one with really unsafe workplace norms and you will still break them. It's not you're resilient or you're not resilient and if you're resilient you can cope with all the crap we can throw at you. So there's just a misnomer around resilience. It's a complex concept. Individuals can absolutely strengthen their own resilience through a training program and there's, there's programs online and I've got a great blog on my website that gives you a, a bit of a, a structure to do that. You, we can all actually do some stuff to strengthen our own resilience, but from a workplace perspective, that does not absolve you from mitigating the risks that are contributing to the issues we're seeing now around mental injury. So what we see is resilience uses a panacea to fix all woes. Yeah, or the rhetoric of resilience. Correct, yeah. 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 
Has COVID and working from home helped or hindered workplace mental health? Both. <laughs> Both, yeah. It, it really has. So I have seen data that, well, we've probably all seen the data that shows increases in family violence, increases in relationship breakdown as a result of working from home. We have certainly seen uh, an increase in cognitive loading for people who aren't switching off, who no longer have a third space. So referring to Dr. Adam Fraser's concept, the third space, that, that time to reflect and reset between work and home, home and work. So there's lots of data coming out around that. And then the flip side, we have people say it's so much easier. I can balance all of my um, competing demands and family much easier. I don't have the travel time. So I now have another four hours in my day that I can go to the gym and do all the things I want to do. So, you know, I've seen an absolute flip side from a workplace perspective where it's got a bit challenging, I think, is where we've just converted the physical work environment into a virtual space. So all the same Everything's the same, but you just move location. Correct. And this need to constantly be on. So, you know, all the instant messaging, the Slack channels, the the Teams, Bings, all of those things that are going, that are constantly on. And in just increasing the stress levels, I think, for people who feel they have to be sitting at the computer eight hours a day or, or more. So, yeah, I, I think it's quite individual. And I just continue to see contradictory data, Em, about whether actually it's helped or hindered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's down to the individual really, which is why we need to be having those conversations about flexibility individually. Yeah. And what's the outcome that those organisations that have put their money where their mouth is to have a mentally healthy workplace, what's been their transformation from the ones that you've worked with? Can you give us kind of where they're at before and where they're at after? Yeah, absolutely. I worked with, so I've got a few scenarios. I worked with a, um, and because it's transformation work, it's long time, right? So I've uh, been working with an organisation for three, four years now. And at the start of their journey, they were coming off the back of some fairly significant regional trauma. So they'd been uh, exposed to the sort of bushfires and things like that. They were a multi-sited organisation, so they're all over the place. Uh, they'd come off the back of a merger. So they'd just been a really challenging history. Um, change had not been managed well. They'd had widespread changes which were just overnight half the workforce being um, dispensed with and I come in working with a new people and culture director who was really committed to creating a mentally healthy workplace for that organization and we uh, and actually I had a meeting with him and he just threw this pack across the desk the, the beyond blue pack and said help me can you just help me like I want to do this I just can't get to it I'm so stuck in the weeds can you help me I went yep of course and so From there, we co-designed his strategic action plan. Just that activity, so, I mean, we're three years down. There's been a lot of interventions. Just that activity, though, there was a group of staff we engaged to do the co-design, and that group had previously said, we we really want you to be looking at mental health in our workplace. And when I brought that group together, they were so relieved. They said to me, you know, we were just about to walk. We were so fed up with this organisation because we were saying, here we are, we are committed, we want to share our knowledge on this, we want to actually do something, we're prepared to give our time. And no one was listening and they'd been doing that for 12 months. And so the re-engagement, just bringing them in to say, okay, the organisation is serious about this and we want your learnings. Tell us about your discussion so far. Tell us about the areas you think we need to focus on. Here's the plan. This is what the evidence base says. Let's contextualise this to work for you. Do you agree with these areas? And we had a couple of sessions. It was such an amazing, amazing collaborative activity. In 12 months, and so that in the first year of that being implemented, 
which was the first year of COVID, they had a 37% increase in their psychological safety scores on their People Matter survey, essentially. So a 37% increase in one year where we also saw unprecedented chaos. And they've continued to do amazing stuff and going forward, lots happening. And I'm still in there doing some work. There's a lot of other people in there doing some work. So they've recognised the need to get support and and that it is a long run journey. And I think that's what I'm most proud of. In shorter turnarounds, I'm working with a couple of groups, a couple of health sector groups, actually, where we're doing um, psychological safety training in their teams. And I'm seeing significant shifts in, uh, in like a five month space around the psychological safety in teams. So we're talking about, you know, increases in about 45% overall of the psych safety scores, which is phenomenal in a short period of time. Yeah, that is amazing. Is it sustainable in such a short period of time? So for me, again, this is the transformation work. And you know, I don't talk transaction, I talk transformation. So what's the ongoing change work that's going to take place? So sure, I can come in and I can just do a training session, but I will only do that if you are going to continue the work and the conversations and the reinforcing activities, because otherwise you're wasting your money, in in my opinion. I mean, I'd love to come and hang with you for half a day, no problem. Um, But actually want you to see transformation from the activities that we do. So that's why I have a change program. So some of my work is with the change leaders who then go on and do the reinforcing work internally. And some of my work is I'm the person that's working with the the leaders and and helping them do that over a longer period of time. Leadership development programs are a big one that we're doing. So I've got some 12 and 15 month programs where we're seeing the shifts, where we're hearing them. So they're anecdotal. I'm getting the CEO saying, I can't believe the shift I'm seeing in these people. I'm hearing your language and the terminology in the halls. So we're seeing this, you know, it's Oh, I've nearly got shivers. It's so exciting. <laughs> it's so lovely to know that you can measure the success via percentages and also via anecdotal stuff, right? It's so good to know that it's working. Your work is amazing, really. It's amazing. You've done very well. You've really done very well. My final question for you, at an individual level, if anyone is listening at the moment, people are finding things a bit tough. It's a bit blah. It's. I read an article the other day that said, actually, at this point in time, it's harder than when we were all in lockdown. And I mean, we're both in, we're all in Melbourne. So, you know, that's saying something when people are really struggling and we're out of the pandemic now and we're dealing with post-pandemic world. And to your point, probably some businesses and organisations who haven't changed how they've been working, behaving, et cetera, et cetera. What can those people do, those individuals who are finding it a bit tough, and where do they go for help? Yeah. Look, if they've got a really supportive leader, obviously that's their first touch point, but not everybody does, uh, let's face it. Uh, So it's about looking at those external resources that can support you, and there's those those informal resources, family, friends, those that you can just debrief with, those that you can laugh with. Laughter is just such a great um, pressure release so good for us. It's, you know, it's evidence around the chemicals and et cetera, et cetera. But if you're really struggling and needing more formalised help, obviously your GP is a great starting point. Uh, online Lifeline in your area, Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue have significant resources on their website. All of these services now have chat functions. So they have a lot of access virtually as well, which, which helps people, I think, sometimes access uh, support when perhaps they might, again, feel a stigma if they were going to go 
you know, face-to-face or look for a service face-to-face in small hometowns? Am I going to walk into the headspace, you know, if you're a youth, for example, am I going to walk into the headspace building that's opposite Macca's where all of my school hangs out? You know, no, probably not. But all of these, all of these services can be accessed um, remotely in various ways now, which is really good. So just reaching out to anyone, your EAP service at work, again, sometimes people don't want to go through that mechanism because they feel that there's some oversight. So there are always plenty of um, ways to reach out. Just reach out to somebody. EAP being? Oh, sorry, employee assistance programs. Yeah, for those Mm -hmm. that have them. For those that have them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of resources. I know Beyond Blue have been hammered. They've done a lot of work in the last two years with resources and extra bits and pieces. I also know that our mental health system is kind of under a lot of pressure generally and um, that's just probably there's long waiting lists for things. So if there's a way that you can help yourself with resources and different bits and pieces and getting that support, great. Because there's different levels of struggle, right? You know, there's the struggle we just, you know, we start, and, I, and I talk about this in some of my training where we show the continuum, the mental health continuum, and we show the factors in work that sort of take us out of that healthy functioning zone into, you know, areas we're not so we're not coping so well. Uh, and those areas, if we don't do something about, we can end up in the higher zone, in the red zone, where we're talking about a mental illness. You know, that's when we're accessing mental health services. There's a whole lot before that. And, you know, some of it's about connectedness, socialisation, just support, just having someone who'll listen to you, drawing on resources. This is getting into resilience, drawing on the resources we know work for us. So motivational sayings. For me, it's disconnecting with the news, disconnecting with social media, and animal therapy. So I'm big on, you know, looking at fluffy animals. I'm a, such a sook for fluffy animals. I, you love the fluffy animals. You also like birds just quietly. Birds and animals. So all of that. So I know my strategies, um, when, you know, when I'm starting to feel impacted. So it's about thinking about what are your strategies, what's worked for you in the past, what are your go-tos that you can draw on now and accessing that. And, and also, you know, cutting off those ones that you know don't help. Also doing that in a time when you're feeling relatively good versus waiting until you're feeling like you're not coping, right? So there are some people who, some of my clients who have got a list of things that will make them feel better, especially over COVID. They had the list ready to go so that if they started to feel a bit, they looked at their list, what do I need to do? Who can I call? What do I need to Correct. do for myself right now? That's your resilience strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's always a pleasure to see you, lovely one. Oh, thank you. See and hear you because I can see you, but your listeners can only hear you. That's exactly right. (laughs) Tell me if there's any question, what should I have asked that I haven't asked you? What do you want people to know? Maybe if I'm a leader in a workplace, what's one thing I can do to move forward? Uh, my Great question, Emma. Oh, can, can, <laughs> I, can I answer Tanya? that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my recommendation is investigate psychological safety and look at implementing that in your teams, even if you pilot it in a team. It is foundational work because it opens everything else up to be so much easier. People will talk about psychosocial hazards if you don't have a fear-based environment. So that's my, my counsel. Get that in. Love that. And on that note, we will let you go. Thank you, Tanya. (laughs) Thanks, Del. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tea with the Queen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help to get the word out. For more about me, please visit emmamcqueen.com.au and I look forward to your company next episode.
Goodbye. Thank you for coming.